As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, I'm Laurie Whitwell and welcome to Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Now, you might have noticed that it's not Carl Anker this week, Carl's on holiday. I am still joined with uh, United We Stand editor and contributing writer to The Athletic, Andy Mitten. Andy, how are you? How was Istanbul? And most importantly, did you avoid jail this time? I didn't avoid jail. How was Istanbul? I mean, you know, you know the result, don't you? It was it What was happened? Bad. Um, United won four one, so obviously it was really impressive. Great. You know, it was bad. The, the weather was bad. Uh, I spoke to um, a Turkish journalist before I went there, and just being precautious, and said, um, "What's the situation like on the ground?" And he said, "It's all right. You know, wear a mask, make, make your normal precautions." Then I flew from Manchester Airport. There wasn't an empty seat on the flight there were loads of people going there to have cosmetic surgery so <laughs> and on the way back to london so you had all these sort of middle-aged men with hair bands on and lots of <laughs> le- ladies with um things over the noses so yeah. that's what that's what i learned last week there was one of a united fan on the plane and he got into the ground so you can ask me all, all about that it rained for three days i love istanbul it's a beautiful city but i had ideas of having a little bit of free time there and I had about two hours on the whole trip because United lost the game. I got ripped off by a taxi driver within five minutes of arriving in taxi no. as well. Yeah, That's the classic the- when you're on yeah. a, a Euro away. So what happened? He did me for 20 quid. So I got a bus from the airport to Taxim Square like a coach. Normally I get a taxi, but the, the airport is on the Asian side. It's quite far away from the centre. And there was a bus ride outside the terminal. And I stepped off the bus and there's a load of taxi touts there. I'd like to think I'm clued up to these things. I laugh yeah. at my mates who get stung. I don't know if you've ever been scammed on anything. I've seen mates oh, get yeah. scammed where you move the free balls under the cups, you know, on places like La Rambler in Barcelona and, and laughed at them. So in, in Istanbul, I avoided the taxi touts. I walked over to a public taxi rank. A guy came and said, taxi, I said, yeah, he just, me towards what I thought was his taxi with a yellow light on. He said, where are you going? I told him my hotel. He said, 25 lira. That was about £2.50. Fine. I got in the taxi. First warning, it wasn't the guy who gesticulated me over. It was another guy. Can you pay up front? Yeah, okay. Got the money out, handed him the money. It's only £2.50. He said, um, old money, 
only you can only use this in the markets, not in taxis. I mean, that's my second warning sign. Mm. That made no sense at all. Uh, what else do you have? So this is the driver asking me this. So I pulled out a wedge of notes. I'd just withdrawn 50 quid from cash oh, point no. plus some, some sterling and some um, euros as well. And he looked at it and pointed, went, this is old money. And he took it from my hand. So he's now holding a 20 pound note. And he, so he's got it in my hand and he passed the note back to me. But as he did it, he said, only euros, only um, pounds but quite aggressively. So I just said, I said, do one, you prick. That's what I said to him. Uh, stop trying to rip me off. But he he deliberately agitated me because when he handed me the note back, it wasn't a 200 he'd taken, it was a 10. So that's the scam. It was a sleight of hand. And I was really annoyed with myself. And why didn't I go back? I, I wasn't going to fight him there, but I should have taken pictures of his registration plate. And... I had no other problems there apart from the weather and the result. And Istanbul's a great city. Obviously, there was a football match in Istanbul that we need to talk about, but we will get on to that um, because I want I need to tell people that there's plenty of United writing on The Athletic right now. Access is currently just £1 per week. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to sign up. That's theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to sign up. And there's lots of great work. There's, there's your pieces in there, Andy, on Solskjaer's Manchester United being a team of contradictions. So this is one of the pieces that I think you got called upon you know, United lose, your phone starts ringing, we need a piece, you know, are United a team of, of contradictions ahead of the Everton game, you know, losing, beating RB Leipzig, beating PSG, losing to Istanbul. We also had uh, my piece on the Everton victory, easing pressure on Solskjaer uh, and Carl's, Carl's piece on the goal that we all know about, Denver Bar's goal, the freedom of United's half and how that was a damning indictment of this Manchester United. And um, I mean, one of the lines in, in Carl's piece in that was that, not, I don't think he's talking about himself personally, but the uh, the idea that somebody could be Ollie in until that goal happened. When you look at it and go, how on earth has that happened? And I just wondered, being in the stadium, Andy, did you see that developing at all? I mean, I guess you must have had to have some incredible foresight and you know peripheral view to, to know everything that was going on at that moment. But I just wondered, could, could you see it developing? Could you hear any shouts from any of the United players to kind of get back into shape or... You know what was what was the scenario like? The most vocal player came on at half time. It was Scott McTominay, and right. you, you were at Arsenal at Old Trafford a few weeks earlier. Yeah. I, I thought that Scott was the most vocal there again, and I'm not saying he played well just because he was vocal. But yeah. the goal the goal was right in front of me. There were probably four um, journalists from covering it for for, for UK um, outlets. And there were a few Turkish journalists as well. And on the opposite side of the ground were maybe 300 fans. You could probably hear them on TV. They were really vocal. And and there was one United fan who managed to sneak in with them, um, which was fantastic. How did that happen, by the way? He also went to Paris two weeks earlier and didn't get in. He walked around the ground and then saw that he was not getting in and retired to his hotel in time for the lockdown with like... Uh, eight cans and you know sent me pictures at each just, stage just the eight just the eight yeah i mean that's all i saw in the picture but hmm. it's istanbul so he missed out on paris istanbul he went um to the ground and he he, he has his uh his ways and he ended up messaging me uh, after 80 minutes to say that he'd got in and, and he almost regretted getting in because the game had been so bad but there were fans allowed in 
but just a few hundred. So I think he just took advantage of that. And he's a well-known figure among United's hardcore fans. He goes absolutely uh, everywhere. And I'd say he's lucky to get in, but it was an awful performance. The goal was right in front of me. I asked Oli uh, about it after the game. And Oli saw me and went, what are you doing here? (laughs) Come to grill you about that goal. So you were allowed in the press room then, were you, this time? Or was it, was it over Zoom? No. Um, in Paris, I was allowed in the press room. So for, for people who don't understand how journalists work, in normal times, you're face-to-face, you're in the same room as a manager, and you're in the mix zone where you're speaking to the players. And in Paris, I was surprised to be told the press conference is downstairs, and I went in there and... Ollie walked in and said, what are you doing here? And and that was the first open press conference I've been in since lockdown. And in Istanbul, uh, after the game, I, 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 an official said to me, the press conference is downstairs. And I'd half expected him to say it was on Zoom, even though I'm in the stadium. So I went downstairs and, and I walked and the, there were three or four Turkish journalists there. Uh, the Turkish manager came in as well. Um, he spoke... Only in Turkish, although he replied to me, my first question, thank you very much in, in English. And I think he's a well-respected manager. And, and I asked Oli about the goal. And I think the quote was, you don't expect to see goals like that at this level of football. And I put that out there and lots of people responded, you don't expect to see goals like that at under eights football, which is fair comment. It, it was ridiculous. It was completely ridiculous how I'm all for United's fullbacks pushing forward, but a basic level of football, you always know that you, when you're on a corner, you, you you leave somebody on the halfway line. And I say that as an amateur fullback, you know, that's what that's what you do. So it was surprising, and it was it was it was a horrendous performance. And would I have taken six points after three matches? Yeah, I probably would have done, but I think because it came, you know, what the mood was like last week, Laurie, because it came after. The Arsenal defeat it compounds things, and it's not been a good start to the season for United. And they got away with it because the European form had been so good. But that those two defeats led to the sort of headlines we saw on on Thursday or Friday, and talk about Oli losing his job. I never thought he'd lose his job, whatever happened at Everton. And I know you you did a piece saying that, didn't you? That the, the club were adamant that he was going nowhere. Yeah, no, b- beautiful segue there, Andy. Thank you, done my job for me. I mean, yeah, the the Istanbul, the, the manner of the goal and the, the performance just exacerbated those, the, the focus on, on Solskjaer and the fact that, you know, we, we always, we never seem too far away from it, do we? The, this kind of question as, as to is he good enough and, and where is, is this United team going? And just the two results being so quick on, on the back of each other, you know, it was only, you know, a week after, you know, Solskjaer was getting lauded, you know, by myself and others though uh, about the performance against RB Leipzig and the PSG game. So that's why the questions came. But yeah, as yourself, you know, you know, uh, we speak to people, try and figure out what's going on. People close to United who would know were absolutely adamant that whatever happened at Goodison Park, Solskjaer wouldn't be losing his job. Now. I still take that with a little bit of a pinch of salt because, you know, say United go and get beat 4-0 as they had did, as, as they have done previously at Goodison under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, you, you kind of wonder, would the resilience have been there, you know, to to stay the course? Um, as it happened, obviously, United turned in a good display, went behind and you, you sort of thought, is this going to be a similar case again? Another direct ball United susceptible to? And certainly there were issues for United to... Um, 
still to, to deal with, you know, defensively perhaps. But I think Harry Maguire was good again. Luke Shaw was good again. Um, and in attack, they had creativity, didn't they? I think Everton, um, you know, sort of played into United's hands. Rashford was able to drop deep. Bruno had a really good game. Uh, and the, that stability that you get from Scott McTominay and Fred, they might not be the most technically gifted players between them. They can, you know, they can still pass the ball. I think I think perhaps their passing is underrated, although they do, you know, get it wrong sometimes. But the, the energy, the, the way they dovetail together, I think really works and complements each other and it gives Bruno that licence to go and, and do his stuff. Um, I don't know what you thought about the game. Was there any particular takeaway that, that you um, saw watching it? Yeah, M- Harry Maguire, you touched on him there. I I thought he was man of the match. I know Bruno got the headlines and I can understand why and Bruno's a game changer, which United uh, needed. But I thought Maguire got better and better, especially in the second half. He kept control of um, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's the informed striker in the Premier League. Everton had not lost uh, at home to Goodison. I know they'd lost the two previous uh, away matches, but I thought Maguire did everything right. He passed the ball short, he passed it long, he came out of defence when he needed to, and he looked like a, a leader to me, not in terms of his vocal presence, but in terms of the way that he played. Should have had a penalty as well. That looked clear-cut to me, but I'm not going to argue about VAR. Uh, yet again, it, a lot of it bores me, VAR, VAR, VAR. So I thought Maguire was... Um, was the man there and it was a big result it was a much needed result it doesn't um quell the doubters because and it shouldn't do because look at the league table it's still not good enough um for united the the issue of consistency doesn't go away just because united have beaten everton Um, but ollie had been hammered 4-0 at everton uh in april of, of last year and i can remember asking him after that game uh are you the man to take this club forward? And he was adamant, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he was touching his badge. And I went back and looked at images of that and he, he looked considerably younger than he does now. So you can see the strain it's taken on him. But that result was needed because we've got the two weeks now with no football. And I think if United would have lost, I don't think he would have been sacked, but there would have been, the mood would have sunk even further. Um, And you know, when you do what we do, you touch before on the calls you get. Last Thursday in Istanbul, I'd intended to have a little bit of a look around and it was impossible because it was one of them days where everyone rings you. And part of me is annoyed because they ring you when there's bad news. No one was ringing a week before. Why are Manchester United so brilliant? And when I say everyone, it'd be the, the big outlets, it's BBC, BBC One, BBC World Service, BBC radio stations, Sky, and they're sniffing blood. They think, is he going to lose his job? And I'm saying, no, he's not. And they're saying, are you sure? Are you sure? And I'm saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm as sure as I can be, because like you, we speak to people, and you sense that Manchester United are always going to say, no, we're not going to sack him. But I believed him. And I believe the people I, I spoke to, mm, but I also yeah. knew that there was a huge amount of pressure b- because of the results. They just hadn't been good enough. So if they can build on Everton, the problem with this United is what's the next home game? West Brom. Yeah. It's all my, <laughs> I mean, you, we, we, we can both laugh because you, you sense West Brom will win 1-0 and it'll just go back obviously they did do you know last time with, with Jay Rodriguez but um, mm. you know surely I mean, you've seen West Brom play and, and they put up a, a resilient performance against Spurs I think but you, you're kind of looking at that and thinking United have to win that game and listen if, if United win that game and, and win the game in hand 
uh, this, you know, as it stands, five points off the top, which is is not you know the worst place to be after you know ten games or whatever it might be. Admittedly, they'd only be ten points off the relegation places, so it's a very condensed league. But still, you know, it's it's not. It's going to be a crazy league, isn't it? I think this season. I think it's going to be a lower points tally for the for the top places. What you touched upon earlier reminded me of a question that we've got from Gaty Hernop uh, at Gaty Hernop at Gar well he's, he's flattered us so obviously I'm going to read his, his um, comment out he says Laurie the podcast seems to have the momentum of a runaway train why are you so popular I think I don't know if he's got that from Professor Jonathan Van Tam who likes his train analogies um, this week but anyway he does say in all seriousness no Solskjaer under Solskjaer are we destined to be consistently inconsistent or do you believe that he can get more consistent results uh more positive consistent results if not how long does this last so is is that that whole debate about where is this going is it two steps forward one step back or or one step forward two steps back where where do you i know you've already touched upon it but where do you ultimately draw the line on this he's got to get consistency we can't be talking about this in a year's time i even said on this podcast a few weeks ago um we can't be 14 games in with four wins like we were last season it was a terrible start last season and I think United had 11 points after eight games. So they're actually ahead slightly, even though it's been a terrible start yeah. to, to this season. But you cannot lose at home to West Brom. I know several managers have, have managed that at Old Trafford in recent seasons, but West Brom haven't won a game so far this season. The consistency has to come. I, I know the feeling within in the, the club from the coaches that it will come, but it'll take time. There will be further bumps along the way. But when you see where United are, in the league table and that can change very quickly because as you just said then a couple of wins and you're right up there because not everyone else is winning Liverpool aren't winning every single uh, week like they were uh, last year uh, Leicester are top they've lost a couple of, of games as well so there is more unpredictability not just in the Premier League you've seen Barcelona and Madrid losing in Spain as well so maybe it's something to do with uh, the, the, the lack of fans and away form certainly benefited Manchester United I don't know uh, fully why but the consistency has to come it's mm. got to be a run similar to what happened in February and March and, and after the, the lockdown last season because if not I can't see Oli surviving I don't expect United to win the league this year I don't know about you but I think fans and there's been a, there's been a, a move away from supporting Oli in the last few weeks you know there were polls done at the end of last week on forums where for the first time uh, the majority of fans were saying Oli um, should go and that's that surprised me and, and I don't agree with that view but mm. I accept people's right to that view I, I, I wouldn't sack him it's not my decision I think there are knee-jerk reactions after defeats like that in Istanbul and against Arsenal but there's definitely doubters now and with good reason the home form is dreadful and, and that that has got to change and it's got to change starting with West Brom and of course it's good if United get out of this group stage and beat Istanbul because I remember when can you remember when the draw was made there was a lot of doom around people saying that's Mm. us back in the Europa League Mm. yeah and that quietens down when you beat Paris and, and Leipzig well, that's it. I suppose it's just seeing the job through now, isn't it? After after winning your first two games in those circumstances, to to not qualify now would be very disappointing. But if they do, then it's a a positive, um, you know, reintegration to the Champions League, I suppose. And and just on all that a discussion about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Oli Kay's also written a a long piece about um, you know, the kind of the debate you know, in or out, you know, the progress that's been made after 100 games in charge for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on the Athletics. So feel free to check that out if you haven't already. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. On the Goodison Park result game, there was one notable absentee in Mason Greenwood. We were led to believe that he was obviously played, came on in Istanbul, didn't he? He was ready to go. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer afterwards explained it as an illness, but then I've researched it over the weekend, spoken to people and a sense has has come out and it's not just been over this weekend, but there are some concerns about Greenwood's uh, approach to professionalism outside of Carrington, getting enough sleep and uh, sort of his uh, attitude to the COVID regulations, which are difficult for young people going through this as, as a teenager it's very difficult to cut yourself away uh, socially from your friends and other people that you might want to see but that is a, a, an issue it seems at, at present at play because when Gareth Southgate spoke to Elegant Solskjaer our information is that Solskjaer was very firm in his belief that he felt it was better for Greenwood to stay in Manchester with the United rather than go away with England Obviously, the last time he went away with England, the Iceland incident happened. Greenwood's response to that apparently hasn't been as impressive as United would have hoped. Very uh, sure about this information, but Andy, I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on on all this. Uh, sort of, if you have had heard anything likewise, or if not, what what do you think of um, the kind of suggestion that United want a little bit more from Greenwood at the present? You're right to be sure of your information, and your your piece was absolutely spot on. And in addition to that, I'd say that Ollie is protecting his player privately. There are frustrations there. Um, he's a young lad. Slack will be cut for a young lad because young lads do daft things and he won't be the first to do mm-hmm. that. I don't sense that there are major serious issues. But when you are a professional footballer, especially one at a huge club like United, you are in the spotlight and you've got to make sensible decisions. Uh, his family have moved over. Um, to Manchester and he'll get a lot of support because people at the club know how how talented Mason Greenwood is and we all do look at the number of goals he scored last season and Ollie's been good with him I mean he owes a lot to Ollie and they'll get young players will get help and advice I know the club are they have this feeling that um, social media for example is a, is, a, is a huge issue and it's it can be very detrimental to young players so they try and create an environment where Turn your phone off at the training ground door. Come in. You be the best player you can be in training. And you enjoy yourself. You express yourself. But clubs cannot control their players 24-7. And United have always had quite a relaxed attitude to this. And I can remember going back years, um, hearing stuff. And you don't always write the stuff because players are entitled to a private life. And you know, if a player wants to be in a casino at 4am, because I remember one Brazilian player was, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, and others, then if they've not got a game the next day, maybe they're entitled to to do that. But I think United have just got to stay on the ball uh, with Mason. He's a brilliant talent. Uh, I'm told for, by people who know him well that there's a, there's a decent lad there, but I don't think it's going to be easy. I think we're going to have more wobbles along the way. And Ollie, Ollie has got to stay on top of him, and he, and he does do. I think Ollie. You know, he, he, he kept Van der Beek on side when people were saying you should be starting, you should be starting. I, I think he he's definitely good for the team spirit. And I know lots of players had issues with Jose towards the end of his time at United. I don't think players see Oli as a soft, soft touch. People say to me, I mean, one editor said to me last week, uh, he's lost the dressing room. I said, well, 
to my evidence, he hasn't done. He really hasn't done. And I think with Mason, he's um, he's just got to be on the ball with him. And I think the, the, the club will be and are. And this isn't a new thing. I remember saying on here a couple, a, a good you know six months ago, United had an offer for him from, from Juventus when he was still a kid. And flattering amounts of money. And United just said, stick with us. You will get your chance. You'll get your first team chance. And they did do. So there's got to be a trust there between the club, the player, the player's family. They're very important as well. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy, but if he wants what's right for him, he should listen to his coach because he's, he's a good person and he's been there and done it. Just touching on what you said there in terms of when you hear stuff and you don't necessarily report it, we, we have a question from a, a listener, Andrew Primit, uh, who I believe is a lawyer according to his Twitter bio, so I better be careful. But he says, do you think there is too much unwarranted media attention focused on Greenwood? Media seems intent on highlighting supposed issues with his character more so than any other footballing teenagers. Uh, I mean, my own sort of response to Andrew's point is that I'm always very careful to write something of this ilk um, just because I'm I'm conscious of how difficult it is to make it as a professional footballer the kind of mental strength that you have to have as well as the ability to come through uh, in such an environment is very is very difficult and also the way that Greenwood's come through with so much uh, attention and so much I guess uh, emphasis on his abilities and, and the importance that has been attached to him you know, he was he was starting every game in United's best eleven at the end of last season as they were pursuing Champions League football. It's a, it's a lot of pressure, so I can understand, uh, you know, him just wanting to be a teenage lad at times, uh, which is is kind of how it's been presented to me. Um, but I still think that when it comes to a player missing games, uh, as you know, he, he missed Newcastle and PSG, which was you know sort of a bit of an un. We weren't never. We never got quite to the, to the number of why that happened. It was a niggle or it was an illness. Uh, and then again, um, Everton game on Saturday after what we've been told was a, a sort of lethargic performance in training on the Friday. Now whether that was down to illness, that might be the case. But equally, if there's concerns about him not getting enough sleep and his immune system being affected, then I think that is a, a fair point to raise in a piece in a very delicate way and with all the the caveats attached because listen everyone has faith in Greenwood becoming a world-class player that's what the ultimate ambition is and I think because United know that he's got that ability they just want the best from him the best application you look at Cristiano Ronaldo and he didn't you know he, he wasn't staying in every night you know when he was at Manchester United by all accounts but he also committed himself absolutely in training and you, you hear some of the stories I think uh, you know, I saw quotes from Darren Fletcher yesterday that are historical about the way that Ronaldo used to commit himself in training. So you've got that as a, you know, he was 18 when he joined Manchester United. You've got him as an example as to becoming world-class elite level. Edinson Cavani is another one that I think United are kind of encouraging those conversations, albeit, you know, Cavani speaks Spanish. So I guess you might have to have a translator in the mix there. But Cavani, uh, Peak District, uh, I think I think it was anyway, where he went after the game on Everton, just sort of showing pictures of, of nature. And listen, he's, he's a... You know, he's in his 30s, so he's a more mature individual. And, and maybe some of this is just the, the natural progression of a, of, a, of a teenage lad. But that's what United are thinking at the moment. So it's interesting that all your points that you make, Andy, and, and kind of, you know, reassuring, I suppose, that you've heard similar. You know, we're, we're not trying to demonise Greenwood at all here, but just, I guess, trying to reflect that United want the best for him. And, and, and at present, it's it's not quite understanding the process that it takes. Your point about Cavani is true. Um, it's hope that he will bring leadership through his actions rather than what he says. 
Um, I'm still trying to work out whether that picture was in the Peak District or the Lake District. It looked yes. it looked, <laughs> looked a bit too high for the Peak District, but then I'm thinking, how on earth would he know about the Lake District? <laughs> but I love the fact that they would do. It, it's difficult for a young player, more so now, because they do have to grow up. Everyone's carrying a phone around. Mistakes yeah. are going to be made. They're going to be attracted to potential partners. Uh, they've got to sift through who's right, who's wrong, who can they trust, who can't they trust. Yeah. Some of their mates, I can always remember Ryan Giggs saying to Tom Cleverley when Tom had broken through to the first team, uh, he said, how many of the lads you went out with at the weekend did you know before you were in United's first team? And Tom sort mm. of stood back, oh, right, you know, you've mm. got to be careful because hangers-on are so prevalent in football and so many footballers have regrets about the people that they socialised with. Um, other players stay loyal to the friends who they've grown up with. They may not be the best influence either on them. And there's many times where when the club are uh, moving players to United, especially if they're very young, they might move them over to to live in digs closer to Carrington to get them away from uh, what might be a difficult home in, environment. And the, the players got to grow up and make mistakes and you know, almost certainly not do their own social media uh, and something that um, when I interviewed Ed Woodward last year, he, he was talking about the, the issue with social media for the for the young players in that they've grown up with phones in their hands. It's very difficult for them to put the phones down. And one thing having written around this subject was, if you're a young lad and you get to play for Man United, you've grown up, you're the best player in your class, your school, your area, your town, your county, you're that good that you grow up with everyone telling you you're brilliant. And this carries on until you have one bad game in the first team when suddenly everyone's calling you you know, a failure. And mentally, it's difficult for them to, to deal with that because some of the abuse can be really, really strong. So it isn't easy, and I don't buy the arguments, yeah, but you've got loads of money, everything should be fine. And they're finding their way in the world. They, they mature and they get experience, but that's why they need if not good players around him, then a good coach around him. And I think Ollie's really sensible there. Mm. But you know, he, he can't be following players home and, and monitoring them 24-7. He's got a, a big enough job as it is. It wouldn't be an international break if there wasn't some poor Pogba chat, would there? So uh, this has come this time from uh, Didier Deschamps, obviously his, his French uh, international manager, who says uh, he is in a situation with his club where he cannot be happy, neither with his playing time nor with his positioning. He's not in his best period. He's had a series of injuries in the COVID-19, which has hit him quite hard. He needs to find his rhythm. With me, there is no such concern when a player is in his discomfort in his club. Obviously, he is happy to play for the France team. He will tell me about his feelings and as I know him very well, it will go in a positive direction. So I suppose it's kind of what we understand to be the situation with Pogba, really. It's just that Didier Deschamps is making it public. I suppose him saying he cannot be happy is is quite a sort of definitive uh, statement on, on the matter. And, and then we've also had uh, a little bit of um, Phil Neville uh, this week sort of suggesting that it's absolutely disgraceful that Pogba can't get in the starting lineup and sort of feels that if United are to achieve anything, that's you know Pogba needs to be in that team. I don't know if he means disgraceful, you know, from a manager point of view or from the players' point of view, but clearly it's it's another you know topic of conversation, isn't it? It's an international break, so let, let's talk about Paul Pogba. But he hasn't, he didn't start at Everton. You know, it doesn't seem like he's an automatic starter anymore. So, and, and we also got two uh, questions from uh, readers on this subject. Well, I think we've got quite a few actually, but two that I saw. Uh, one from 
from Rich Smith um, at Rich Smith 53. Pogba, problem or potential, which I thought was quite a succinct way to put it. I would just add in, I mean, potential, he is 27 now, right? So it's we're, we're, we're waiting if, if there is to be more potential. Uh, and then we've got another one from uh, at United Alex, uh, who said, can you see a way back into the starting 11 for Pogba? So there you go, Andy, I'll leave it to you. I think that Phil probably meant that with Paul's potential, he should be a starter for Manchester United. He was certainly brought in to be a talisman for the team. Got you. He, um, he's been at the club for over four and a half years now and we're still asking the same questions. I know he's considered an enigma among some in the club. They're not quite sure where he sees his future and when he makes quotes about Real Madrid, that brings doubts into the minds of United fans who are completely split on him. So you've got some United fans who will say, look, if he wants to go to Madrid, I'll drop him at Manchester Airport now. And there are still a considerable number who think that he's got a great future at the club. I think in mitigation, he has had a serious injury or injuries. He has had COVID as well. We don't know what impact that has had on him, but he hadn't played well, which led to him losing his place in the team. I think that was a fair call by the manager. It was a bold call, mm-hmm. but I think mm-hmm. it was the right call, don't you? I don't yeah. think he was playing well. And when he when he has come on, when he came on in Paris, I thought he looked really bright and he set up um, Rash- Rashford's goal. But this isn't the Pogba we all hoped for. And there may be questions from him about his positioning. Um, I mean, he's... he's He's been the main man in the dressing room, Pogba, and he's a big influence over other players, especially Anthony Martial. Um, People speak so well of him being a lovely lad. I know coaches who can remember him when he came in, uh, when he first came in in his first spell at United, and they honestly do not have a bad word to say about him as a person, but United fans will judge him off his performances, and he can't pretend that this season he's found his rhythm yet. He had some amazing games last year. The one that stood out for me when he came back from injury was Brighton away where he combined with Fernandes and I just thought, wow, yeah. this is brilliant. This is the future. Yeah, yeah. It's not quite happened, has it? Well, that's it. I mean, you, you look at that, that run at the, you know, when, when lockdown was lifted and, and you think, Wow, that 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 team was was set right. You know, you had Matic there, sort of sweeping up, and and, and Pogba and, and Bruno sort of interchanging a little bit. But I think ultimately Pogba would prefer to play higher up. Although I know for France, he he has played in that deeper role, but that is that is a live issue, I think. And there are people that think that Bruno and Pogba just can't really play in the same team if United are up against uh you know a team that might attack. So you, you need that. You know that that I suppose energy uh, that that combination from Fred and, and McTominay. So these are decisions to, for Solskjaer to, to have. And I, I don't listen. I think Pogba actually does is a really interesting option as a as an option off the bench. But as you say, he, that's not what he was bought for. Um, if he could be okay with that, then you know I think it would be a, a kind of a useful way to use him. But I guess he wouldn't be okay with that. So it's a, it's going to be a difficult one for Solskjaer to progress with and, and, and try and keep every, everybody satisfied. But it then ultimately brings in what's going to happen you know, in next summer when he will have one year left on his contract because United have triggered the, the extra year, obviously, um, that they had the option on. So it's, it's very much a live issue that will keep... You know, I know we spoke about Pogba a lot, but it's just such a an interesting case when he is, you know, amongst the highest paid players at United, probably the second highest paid player, costs so much money, is clearly a very talented individual. How to get the best out of him is something that I think we'll keep on talking about. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. So we have one from at SShares12 who says, where does Cavani fit into the 4-3-2-1, 4-3-3 system? Uh, I think it means 4-2-3-1. Um, is it worth trying to play him centrally, Marshall on the left and Rashford on the right? What do you reckon, Andy? I know that Cavani always saw himself as an out-and-out striker, but this was part of his frustration at PSG that he played second fiddle to uh, Zlatan. And that led to him talking to Manchester United about moving to the club in 2014. I think, first of all, Cavani needs to find his rhythm. But it was great that he scored the goal at Everton. He needed a goal. And I thought it was pretty selfless the way that Bruno set him up. That showed a, a good team spirit there, I thought. Um, I, I think a fit and firing Cavani can be a, a brilliant asset to that team, especially if we're having doubts about Greenwood, especially if Paul Pogba isn't playing all of the time. He just needs to find his his mojo and his rhythm. And I'd see him as, as an out-and-out striker, but he could play off the left or, or off the right as well. Wouldn't expect him to do the running of the younger lads around him, so that would tend to make me think he should be playing more, more centrally. Um, but it's a nice problem to have. I just think we need to see a Cavani which resembles as closely to possible the one which we saw at Paris rather than... Uh, the one where people have thought we're buying a player who's who's, who's finished. And everyone I've spoken to uh, said he's absolutely not finished. I think United start to need to see him banging the goals in so that it becomes more of a Zlatan rather than a, a Radamal Falcao at United. But I was pretty excited when he signed and that excitement came from speaking to people who knew him like Forland, like Rudy Garcia, the coach of, of Leon. These people know the stuff. They could easily say to me, what on earth they're doing buying him? But they didn't, even in private. So I want to start seeing him featuring more, scoring more, and getting them big goals in the big games, sinking Liverpool, sinking Manchester City, ideally running to a stand full of fans, but maybe I'm getting ahead of myself there because that's probably going to be a bit of time off. What about you? We can but dream, can't we, Andy? Um, yeah, no, I thought it was really good that he came on and, and scored. I think getting a goal you know, fairly early into his United career is is a positive. And I thought Bruno had actually delayed the pass too too late in the end, but it was... And Cavani actually, I think, was really smart. He just delayed his run. When I was watching it back, you can see that he, he's you know conscious of staying onside and, and obviously the finish into the near post was... was was just what you want to see, really. You know, no, no hesitation. You know, picking his spot, going, you know, fooling the keeper a little bit. Um, so no, I, I was pleased with with seeing him, uh, and I, I do think he. I mean, I don't know if it's just because he's been cameo roles, but 
he has run about. You know, he, he, I think that was probably one of the issues in Istanbul. He was he was sort of down on his own 18-yard box at one point. And you're thinking, get in the box. You know, United need a goal. Uh, and, and I think against Everton as well, he was doing some defensive work. So I guess, you know, him up top with Marshall left, Rashford right w- would be an interesting combination. I suppose you'd probably be thinking of that as, as an end to a game to try and, if you're trying to win a game or, or salvage a point or something. But I'd, I'd, be, I'd be surprised if it started um, a match. But listen, you never know how things develop. The other question, one of the other questions, we've got two more, I think. Uh, we've got one from Adam Paul, who asked for an update on Rashford and Luke Shaw injuries and what time they would be out for. I don't think, at least I, I've not got anything specifically. I would, I personally would be surprised if Rashford plays fully for England. I wonder if he might end up coming out of that team. That the, the, the shoulder injury you know, is an issue. He's taken quite a few knocks recently, got quite... Uh, a few kicks against Arsenal, for example, and obviously he's, he's not long had that back injury that I think still can't be overlooked. Um, you know, from, from coming back from that, that was you know it was a serious injury. So we'll, we'll see how that develops, but I don't think it would be anything long term. And we broke the story earlier that uh, Luke Shaw has had his scan results back from the hamstring injury that he suffered against Everton. Um, so it looks like he's going to be out for between four to six weeks. Uh, I think six weeks is probably the likelier, just because. Um, he this is he tends to take a little bit more time. I think coming back from hamstring injuries, he had that one last season that was out for three months. In the end, at least this one isn't as uh, severe, but it will uh, keep him out of a number of games for United, possibly even the three remaining Champions League games. And then that uh, derby fixture on December the twelfth against Man City um, looks like it could be under threat for him. But um, Alex Tellers is back at least, so that's uh, one other alternative. And Brandon Williams is another option. But um, it's a real blow, isn't it, Andy? Because I think you. You said before that Luke Shaw has been playing really well since that debacle at Spurs. He's been one of Manchester United's most consistent performers. Yeah, I, t- I tweeted that on, on Saturday about Shaw and had uh, a lot of people in agreement and then a lot of people saying, I'll have some of what you've been on. So clearly he <laughs> divides players. I thought Broad well, church. It's a broad church and that's fine. People are allowed to have totally different opinions. After, someone told me factually last week that Scott McTominay could not play football. And I said, so, so, so what are you expecting him to do? You know, train to be a carpenter or an electrician or something and just give up playing, you know, not for a village team, but Manchester United and playing well as he did on Saturday, like he said, alongside um, Fred. Um, Ollie touched on Shaw's injury, alluding to the fact that, um, and this was a big point for him, and I mentioned it on the pod a few weeks ago, it's all related to that early kickoff, coming back from Istanbul, leaving the ground really, really late. And Ollie was has been fuming about this privately for weeks and weeks and weeks. And even on Friday in the press conference, he was fishing for one of us to ask him a question about it. And I don't think anybody actually did. So when people no, yeah. said after the game um, that uh, it, it, it just decided to say that at, at, at the time, he hadn't. It, it, it genuinely been angry about that. And there's a whole counter side to that, that football clubs take that much money from television that, as Fergie said in 2011, you're shaking hands with the devil. You can't really control stuff. But Ollie's anger was absolutely genuine. He didn't feel that it helped and it led to an injury um, with with uh, Luke Shaw. Um, are we going to see Alex Telles? 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 Um, <laughs> I don't I know. So. But, uh, maybe... Uh, his arrival has been one of the reasons why Luke has been so good, especially going forward. And I know he wasn't mm. good for that goal in, in Istanbul, but I thought he was excellent at Newcastle away. I thought he did really well in, in Paris. 
And I thought he played really well at Everton until he went off too. A good point you raise about Solskjaer's irritation on the kickoff times because I think it is a live issue and you even heard Jurgen Klopp. Uh, you know, it's a bit of an unusual alliance there between Liverpool and Manchester United managers. And maybe you'd say, well, listen, they're the big clubs. They would they would uh, sort of get together and, and, and say this. But I do feel like it's a, you know, a particular uh, point this season with the congested fixture list, the lack of pre-season. So I'm actually writing a piece on uh, that very issue as we speak. So hopefully that'll be out by the time this podcast comes up. I think we've got time for one more, just from Lewis Doyle, um, who says, uh, why the stark contrast for Jose between United and Spurs? You touched upon this earlier, didn't you, Andy? So, listen, is, is Jose rejuvenated at Spurs? What, you know, what was so wrong at United? I think Jose Mourinho is a very good manager, and I think he's a decent person, and sometimes you pl- get this pantomime villain, but he gave us a brilliant interview for the fanzine when when he was struggling at United at this, just before Christmas 2016. I think that... Jose in 2018 at Old Trafford is really, really interesting because he started the year, he signed a new contract, the team was second, everything was looking pretty decent, better better than it had done at any post-Fergie point. That Seville defeat was a massive bang. And then he feels that he didn't get the players he wanted that summer. But I'm told different versions and from extremely good sources. And one of them was that he wanted Maguire, but he didn't want to pay more than £50 million for him. And then Leicester were never going to sell Maguire for £50 million. So he didn't get Maguire. And I'll never forget Jose on that pre-season tour in America. He's one of the most miserable humans I've ever seen. And I went there, you know, I don't hide my allegiances. I wanted the guy to succeed. But when he was in Michigan and United had been beaten 4-1, and he came out and said, I wouldn't pay to watch this team. I just thought, you want, you want to lose your job here. You really want to lose your job here because 50,000 people have just paid hard-earned money to watch this. And yeah. there was just this slide. And I remember speaking to him before Brighton away because I was pitch side doing some work. And I said to him, and I pointed to the away end and said, these people want to get behind you. They still support you. And he was really tense. He said, thanks, thanks, thanks. But then a week later at Burnley, he was up at the away end, clapping away because United had had a good win, which they hadn't had at Brighton. But he didn't get the results. And I know people at the club just felt that he didn't want to be there. And Jose himself said, I should have been sacked. So I don't think that he is yesterday's man. Um, Okay, he's probably not got the, the energy and determination that he had when he was first coming through at Porto and... At Chelsea, when he had Vish Boas with him and he wanted to take the world on. But I wouldn't say I want him to do well, but in my experience, I, I, I like the guy. And mm. I, I think football's better with him in it. I don't think Tottenham are going to win the league, but I don't suddenly think that him doing well at Tottenham means United got it completely wrong. He, he wanted yeah. to leave Old Trafford. Do you think? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right there, Andy. I, 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 you know, I've criticised him plenty of times for the way that he left things at United and uh, some of his approaches and the way he handled players in, in certain parts. Um, but you can't resist the fact that he is uh, an entertaining character in his press conferences and, and some of the stuff he comes out with is very charming and you know says says interesting things. He's obviously a deep thinker on the game, so I, I'm intrigued to watch it. And I think it's not weird for people with United affiliations to, to watch what Jose's doing at Spurs and, and just be interested. 
inspired by it because it's it's kind of fascinating really and I suppose the question is you know this is his, you know he's not even completely a year as I think this is maybe his year anniversary coming soon but but we'll see you know how it develops as the years go on because it's notoriously that that sort of second third well third season isn't it where you, you sort of think the way he drives his players does it start to disintegrate does the relationship with his board we know that Daniel Levy is a difficult man sometimes to deal with on transfers he's done really well this transfer window getting the players in that he has and Jose spoken about that but you know if if that ever becomes an issue how does Jose react to that so I think it's a really fascinating case I don't think you know you necessarily have to be a Tottenham fan to to look at it and want to kind of keep sort of finding out what's happening I think that's all we've got time for this week so thanks so much for listening we'll be back next week where Carl will be back replenished refreshed and Andy will be back with us again so thanks Andy for being my company this week it's been a pleasure thanks Laurie enjoyed speaking to you nice one thanks for listening guys speak soon